Welcome to Season 2 of OtoMentor, the podcast that provides mentorship for your otolaryngology career. I'm your host, Christina Cabrera-Muffley. All opinions expressed in this podcast are solely my own or my guests and do not express the views or opinions of my employer. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it and leave a review. Also, spread the mentorship and tell all your friends. This is Season 2, Episode 9, Work-Life Balance in Otolaryngology. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Schneider. She is the director of the Division of Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Kansas Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery. She is also the vice chair of clinical affairs for the department. She attended medical school and residency at New York University, then attended a head and neck fellowship at the University of Miami. Lisa started at KU when I was a resident there, and very shortly thereafter became one of the most important mentors of my career. She was hard on me when I needed the push and celebrated with me when I achieved my goals. I will never forget how she threw me a baby shower before I graduated from residency. Over the years, our relationship has evolved, and I consider her a true friend. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. Yeah, my pleasure. It's an honor to have you on. So what first inspired you to go into otolaryngology as a specialty? Actually, it wasn't an easy choice, and I made my decision fairly late in my medical school career. I made a decision the summer between my third and fourth year. So I made the whole circle from internal medicine to neurology to neurosurgery to interventional radiology to finally otolaryngology. And I think the biggest decision is probably between medicine and surgery. And uh, I loved the intellectual stimulation of medicine and neurology for that matter, but it's the immediacy of surgery and working with very smart and very dedicated and very interesting people that finally helped me make make my decision. And, And certainly once I discovered the field of head and neck surgery, that solidified my decision to become an otolaryngologist. And then what drove your decision to specialize in head and neck surgery? That actually was a decision which was much easier to make, as I often hear from many subspecialists in our specialty. I essentially made that decision during my medical school rotation. I remember at my graduation from fellowship, my mentor Frank Sivantas in his speech was saying that he remembers how when I interviewed for residency at the University of Miami, I was telling him how I was going to become a head and neck surgeon. And he said, oh, I'm sure you say the same thing in the rhinology room or otology room or pediatric otolaryngology room, but I stuck with it. And I think probably as many of us just, again, liked the dedication to patients and complex and challenging cases and being able to see patients for five years or more and overall just high camaraderie among the surgeons. Yeah, I think head and neck surgery among our specialties is probably the most like a group sport. (laughs) Team sport. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So this podcast episode is about work-life balance. And I just want to put out there that The reason I asked you is because you're a head and neck surgeon, which is typically considered one of the busiest and most demanding of our subspecialties. 
Plus, you have an interesting backstory where you have a adult daughter and a young daughter. So I wanted to get your perspective, but I want to make sure that the audience doesn't think, oh, well, only women have to worry about work-life balance issues. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that it certainly used to be the case that only women had to worry about work-life balance issues and that came into play when choosing a specialty, certainly. I think nowadays, a lot of fathers are a lot more involved than they used to be. So work-life balance or having a family or being present for that family comes into consideration for men as well as women. And conversely, as more of us enter the field of head and neck surgery, I am delighted to see more and more women and the women task force or committee on the American Society of Head and Neck Surgery. So it's not just three of us for the entire country anymore. Yeah. So did those work-life balance issues play into your decision-making as far as becoming a head and neck surgeon, taking the job that you have? Tell me more about that. So interestingly enough, and I don't know if I was just naive or very dedicated or driven by I'll show you philosophy, but work-life balance consideration did not really come into my thinking when choosing the specialty of head and neck surgery. What it probably affected is the geographical location When I trained in residency, I used to live in uh, New Jersey and commute to New York every day by car, which, as those of you who live in the East Coast know, may take anywhere from 40 minutes to 140 minutes, (laughs) uh, regardless of the time of day. So when I finally realized that I'm graduating uh, from a fellowship and I'm looking for a job, I realized that if I am to continue to be a busy academic head and neck surgeon, if I commute three hours of my day, there is absolutely no chance for me to see my family. So that actually played, rather than selection of the specialty, the consideration of the work-life balance uh, played into my decision to move to a different geographic location. Okay. So what does your weekly schedule look like now? Clearly not uh, three hours of commuting time, short commute. (laughs) Fortunately not. I I can't even, uh, actually, I was listening to some of your podcasts to prepare for this one, and I cannot even finish a single podcast on my way to work. That's how short my commute is. Well, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) That is excellent. I used to finish a whole audio book in one week when I was in New York and New Jersey. My uh, weekly schedule now is a lot more relaxed than my weekly schedule was when I just started my job. And this is due to the fact that we have six head and neck surgeons now. And I have a lot of wonderful partners with whom we share responsibilities. I do have a lot more administrative responsibilities. So My weekly schedule is actually a lot more controlled, I would say, and a lot more structured. So I do full clinic day on Monday and we have some conferences. So it's a full day. Tuesday, it's 0.75 clinic and I do some meetings. Wednesday is my long OR day. So I may finish late. 
Thursday is a shorter OR day and Friday is an administrative day with some overflow cases thrown in. So it's it's a lot more controlled than it used to be. Yeah. So I remember when you got to KU in 2006, I was a resident then. And I remember being in the OR with you until 9, 10 p.m., midnight, you know, sometimes on the head and neck service. So that sounds a lot more manageable now. <laughs> that and does like, not happen a lot anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at that time, there were three head and neck surgeons, including the chair, who was clearly not full-time clinical. So yeah, that makes a big difference to kind of choose your your group and, and how many people are in that group for coverage. Absolutely. So. And that actually, I'm, I'm sure we'll get more into that discussion, but I just was going to say that that is having great partners is crucial to having any semblance of life. I'm not going to say work-life balance because it's never a balance. It's kind of like unsteady equilibrium, but having great partners is key. Yeah. Tell me more about that unsteady equilibrium <laughs> comment. That, that's an interesting way to put it. What do you mean by that? Well, I feel like I don't have the luxury of being off ever. Right. It because of your matter. patients. Yeah. Because my patients, sometimes I joke that my patients wait until I'm on the other side of the globe to start <laughs> having complications. Uh, and obviously, again, having partners who are more than capable to take care of my patients is wonderful. And I'm certainly not going to direct the care being on the other side of the globe. However, I do want to know about it and I want to hear about it. So I am always available to my residents, my partners, my boss for any sort of patient care issues or emergent administrative issues. So my phone is always on. Yeah. Now, before it used to be that if you travel overseas, your phone does not have service. That fortunately or unfortunately is no longer the case. You can have service anywhere. But uh, I, I like it that way. I like to know what's going on. And my family knows that obviously I will pay attention to them and be as present as I can, but I'm always available for work issues. So I'm never off. Sure. Yeah. I feel that way about my program director duties, which aren't clearly as strenuous as patients who are trying to, to die on you with head and neck cancer. But yeah, it's, it's not my clinical that, that draws me to that. So let's talk about your family. So you have a adult daughter and a daughter, another uh, daughter who is a preteen, basically, right? Yeah, seventh um, grade. She's twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how has that experience been different? Walk me through what it was like to have a daughter very early in your career, and then later in your career. How is that different, and how the how these affected your career path? It's very different. And both are very rewarding in its own way. I was fortunate when I had my older daughter to have lots of family support. My parents and my parents-in-law have always been close and provided tons of family support. And my husband has been very involved. So I was able to focus on my medical school studies. And I knew that everything would be taken care of. We were very young. 
when we had Paulina, my older, but we had lots of energy. And now, <laughs> no, no money, but lots of energy. And now it's very rewarding because she is a young adult and we can have in-depth conversation about life. And obviously when your child is going through teenage years and very early adult years, then parent doesn't know anything. But when you're... <laughs> When your child grows up a little bit more, suddenly parent knows something. So we are in that stage where actually my advice is taken, which is very rewarding. With the younger one, I had a lot more patience and a lot more financial resources and a lot more understanding and common sense, but way less energy. And she is a she is a ball of energy. So when she wants to play or have a conversation at 9:30 at night, <laughs> that's that's more difficult than a similar situation when I was 28. So, but again, it's a pleasure to watch her grow, and it's really wonderful. It's really I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. So what kinds of things did you have you done over the years to make sure that you had, I mean, clearly it sounds like family support was critical, but, you know, child care and flexibility to, if you have to go back to work in the middle of the night and all of that. Well, fortunately, my husband has a much more controlled schedule. He very rarely, he's not in medicine, so he very rarely has any weekend or night duties. And if he he did, and I was, let's say, it was my week on call. So again, having family support and alerting them in advance and having babysitter A and babysitter B and babysitter C, that, that was helpful. Yeah. And then you also have the situation where you're the, what we call the sandwich generation, right? So your parents are aging now um, where they were really helpful when Paulina was young, you know, now you're having to probably help more. So how do you manage that? This hit home for me when my mom had to have a uh, elective surgery a couple of years back and they used to live in New York. And we live in Kansas, so I took a week off to come to attend to her uh, around her surgery, and everything went great, and everything was fine, and I flew home, and obviously, as soon as I flew home, then complications started, and the wound (laughs) dehissed, and I was trying to manage over the phone and over the texted pictures, and that uh, I'm the only child, and I realized that this is only going to get worse. Right. So we had a conversation with my parents and I was doubtful that it will come to fruition, that it di- but it did. And they actually moved to be closer to us. Okay. So I think it's wonderful. I know it is old fashioned. Uh, they don't live with us. They live about 10 minutes from us. But I think it's wonderful for them to be able to see grandchildren and for us to be able to keep an eye on them. So living close is how... That's the only way how I can manage it. I've watched my partners trying to manage parents' illness from many, many miles away and flying on the short notice. And it's it's very difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like your husband is very supportive and 
that also makes a big difference in having the flexibility to accomplish what you need to accomplish. I'm very fortunate. Yeah. So are there other things that you have done to make your life easier, right? So for example, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was just hire someone to clean your house. (laughs) So you don't have to spend all weekend after you've been working all week cleaning your house. What do you think about those, those recommendations? I think it actually, and my husband and I talk about it often, uh, I think it actually goes back to what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And maybe for some people, cleaning the house is a form of meditation. So instead of paying a psychologist or psychotherapist, you clean your house. I'm not one (laughs) of those people. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) But I like... I basically outsource things that I don't like and I do things that I do like. For example, just like you, I know we both share love of all things food related and cooking, new recipes and things like that. So I love cooking when I can, when I don't have time with a takeout, but when I can, uh, we try new things and I cook at home, but I don't clean my house. So that's basically how I approach it. I outsource things that I don't care about and I do things that I like. Yeah. And what are the ways that you make sure to spend quality time with your family? So when you're when you're off, I mean, you're never off, but when you're, ha- when you're not on call <laughs> specifically. Right. And not, not and in not, the hospital. Yeah. And there's no <laughs> emergency going on. What are the ways that you make sure to spend quality time? So we haven't talked about pandemic much, but obviously our lives have been completely disrupted and appended. But we try to, especially as holiday time approaches, we try to focus on the positives. And one of the positives was or is that actually we do spend more time together as a family. We Mm -hmm. never, ever had time to walk around the subdivision or walk in a park and spending maybe 20, 30 minutes walking and talking about our day. And now we do. And that actually has been kind of nice. Yeah. So before pandemic, we used to travel a lot as a family. So that was my way to essentially focus on them. Cannot do uh, a lot of traveling now. We did a little bit of driving vacations during that time. So again, this is our time to focus on each other. Yeah, I found that too. Although it is tricky when you realize Friday evening, we have no plans for the weekend. And how are we going to (laughs) entertain? Two two, energetic boys. (laughs) Two energetic boys. (laughs) For the entire weekend. <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of hikes as well. <laughs> yes, yes. It's actually funny because my husband and I have never been, as we call them, outdoorsy people. And now we're becoming outdoorsy people, which is kind of nice. Again, yeah. it's a form of meditation to look at nature. Sure. So what does the term self-care mean to you? Do you buy into that? Do you not buy into that? I actually do. I think it's important. And I think from the philosophical perspective, what's important is to give yourself permission to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when 
I was in residency and I was in fellowship and first years as attending, it's like, uh, you're not supposed to eat, you're not supposed to sleep, you're not supposed to exercise, you're supposed to just basically take care of, of your work. And that's all great. But after a while, you realize that it's a, what we do is a physical job. Mm-hmm. So probably not quite as professional athletes, but in a sense, what we do is very physical. So if you want to have a long career and you want to be available and present for your patients, you, you need to give yourself permission to take care of yourself. So what self-care means to me is trying to squeeze in at least at least 15, 20 minutes of exercise every day, do something. And it's probably best to do it in the morning, no matter how early. So that kind of sets you in a good mood for the day and sets you up for the day. And also, and probably 10 years ago, I would be ashamed to admit it, but I'm not ashamed anymore. If I had a hard week on call or I operated late or I really haven't slept for a long period of time, if there is a night that there is nothing going on, I will be in in bed early and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I give myself permission. I don't feel guilty about going to bed early. And another big part of my self-care, and again, something that I probably neglected during my crazy days of training and medical school is my new New Year resolution is to connect with at least one friend or family member each week, either by phone or Zoom. And and, uh, I think that's huge. I think relationships with your people and your tribe are what really nourishes you. To go yeah. forward. Well, and especially during this time. Exactly. Because we're, we're isolated more than usual. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. How do you decide how to spend your time most valuably? And I assume this question means professionally as well as personally. Yes. <laughs> that is still something which is a work in progress for me. I know that a lot of professional advice nowadays is we need to learn to say no. Mm-hmm. And I'm not terribly good at that. <laughs> I still say yes to a lot of things. And sometimes it's something that truly will help in my professional growth and my career. And sometimes it's just I cannot say no to certain people that I admire. <laughs> so I may agree to do maybe something like a review or a book chapter or something which is not necessarily going to position me significantly in terms of academic pursuits but when people ask you say yes so that's as far as professional and personally my marriage is my most important thing Mm -hmm. in my life so my marriage my family my friends so as far as trying to choose how to spend my time again in that order okay doing things to spend some time with my husband, my family, my friends, etc. Yeah. So what advice would you give women who pursue otolaryngology about their work-life balance? I think otolaryngology and even head and neck surgery are wonderful specialties for women. <laughs> I don't know. I might be one of the very few people who say that, but I do. I do think that they're very rewarding 
specialties. Um, they're challenging and complex, but very rewarding. I do feel that we have the luxury of uh, adjusting our, maybe necessarily not the hours we work, but uh, adjusting our schedules and adjusting our lives and adjusting the type of patients that we see as we progress in our careers. And I'm a first example of that. So I think as far as advice, and I already touched on that multiple times, I think for women who choose and not every woman chooses to be in a long-term relationship. So I certainly do not want to offend anybody who does not choose to be in a long-term relationship or have children. We all, we all come, come in different stripes. But if you do choose to be in a long-term relationship, be careful. Be careful. Make sure your partner is really supportive. And by supportive, I mean truly is there to help your career and help pick up the slack and does not adhere necessarily to gender binding roles or who needs to do what. Mm -hmm. So be careful. That's the most important decision that you make for your career, yeah. who you partner with. And the same thing at work. I think my life would not be possible without my six partners. And we, we have the strongest bond and we dedicate it to them. And I know that they will be there for me in a pinch and I will be there for them. Right. So what advice would you give men who are going into otolaryngology for work-life balance? That's an interesting question. I would say be honest with yourself. And again, with your partner, if you choose to be in a long-term relationship, just be honest and don't try to talk yourself into either a job or a place to live or a type of practice, but understand yourself and understand what's important for you and be very honest and upfront with your partner. And that will help you both personally and professionally. Yeah. If your younger daughter came to you, because your older daughter already has her own life and career, and she's clearly not going to be a head and neck surgeon. <laughs> probably not. Which is probably smart of her, to be honest. <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah. So if your younger daughter came to you and said, Mom, I want to be an otolaryngologist or a head and neck surgeon, what would you say to her? I would be delighted. I would be delighted. I am certainly lucky. I am very lucky because I still love what I do. Maybe not every day of every moment of every day, but most moments of most days. And I wouldn't make any other choice. It's sad and painful for me to hear of some physicians saying that had they known what they know now, they would never go into medicine. And I, I would do exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm very fortunate. I would be delighted if she wanted to do otolaryngology and head and neck surgery. So I would I would be cheering on her. Yeah, I think uh, I would be too with my son. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I, yeah, I, I I'm lucky like you are that I'm happy in my career. So yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add? I just wanted to say again, just uh, it's very important to understand yourself and to know yourself. And if you choose well, as I can't remember who the author of that quote is, but if you love what you do, you will never work the day in your life. So right. just choose well and you'll be happy. Yeah. 
Well, thanks so much. It was great to catch up with my one of my original mentors <laughs> for the Odo Mentor Podcast. Thanks for being on the show. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review or go to my show notes page to let me know your thoughts. There's a brief survey to help me improve the quality of this podcast. Wishing you success and joy.